This is the fact pattern from question number two of February 2017, Real Property and Ethics. A woman owns property and she gives the property to her two adult sons, Scott and Doug. The deed states that the brothers take the property with a right of survivorship. Okay. Sorry, I'm writing this down. This is not a homestead property. Joint tenant right is survive. Uh, deed. Deed formalities. Okay. Without Scott's knowledge, time, title, interest, possession. Okay. Uh, writing signed by party to be charged. Uh, or signed by the hand party. To be charged, what to uh, subscribing wits we sign in presence of each other. Uh, la la la, there must be delivery of the deed, which is about intent, and then acceptance of it which is presumed for value and then to satisfy the statute of frauds it needs to be in writing signed by the party to be charged and then contain like the essential terms um so like the property description the um identity of the parties price okay Without uh, Scott's knowledge or consent, okay, so if they're joint tenants, they own the full property undivided, so they can't do anything without the other's consent, whereas tenants in common, they have a undivided uh, half interest in the thing, and they can do that. So without Scott's knowledge or consent, Doug gets a loan from Tom. Oh, okay, so because Florida is a lean theory state, and because they were joint tenants, he would have to have the other joint tenant consent to that uh, mortgage. So the other lady's not gonna be liable for that mortgage. Hold on, Doug gets a loan from Tom and pledges the property as collateral. So purchase money mortgage. Uh, Doug fails to make several payments and then dies uh, before the loan is paid off. So he dies. What happens when you die? Boom. Goes all to uh, the other one. So he it would all. So who died? Doug dies. And then so it would all go to Scott. So joint tenancy, right of survivorship, all to other brother. Upon other joint tenant slash brother's death. And so it fails to make several payments, dies before it's paid off. Tom now says he'll foreclose if Scott doesn't uh, if Scott doesn't repay uh, the loan, but Scott refuses. Um, for ten dollars of consideration, Scott D. Well, first of all, I don't think deeds need consideration. Let's write that down. Do deeds need? consideration 
Uh, I don't think so. Uh, for ten dollars in consideration, Scott Deeds. Um, uh, no, I'm done. Okay, so then I get so far. Good gosh, where the hell was I? Oh my god, how do, how do I lose what I was just working on? Okay, hold on, maybe this is it. Okay, yeah, sorry, got it, okay. So for $10 consideration, Scott deeds the property to his niece, Nancy, for life. Okay, so Scott goes to Nancy for life, life estate. And then to Tom and a local charity in equal shares. So they, have an ex uh, they already have a vested interest. That's an executory interest. Um, then to charity and Tom equally. So vested remainder men. Um, okay. The property has a small house and Nancy spends $25,000 to convert it into two offices. Nancy orally agrees to rent these offices to Tom and to an attorney for five-year terms with rent to be paid quarterly. That's a periodic tenancy. And then can't do that. Can't do any uh, statute of frauds, one-year contract, SOF violation one it wasn't in writing right and then you know it needs to be um any contract can't be performed in a year okay uh rent will be paid quarterly all right that's the periodic tenancy which means um 
it has a start date and then has like successive dates. So it goes year to year or month to month and it doesn't end until like notice is given. Um, so in exchange for reduced rent, the attorney agrees to collect the rent payment, use it to pay <coughs> the property taxes and hold the balance for Nancy. The attorney deposits Tom's quarterly rent payments into his firm's operating account and maintains a sufficient balance in the account to cover the rent owned by the firm. Okay, so the attorney commingled. Uh, he should have put it in what, a trust or an escrow? Trust account, escrow, okay. Uh, the attorney forgets to pay the taxes due in the first year. Nancy does not pay the taxes either. Instead, she waits and she buys a tax certificate for the amount of unpaid taxes. Two years later, she applies for and receives a tax deed. Okay. Nancy claims that she now owns the property outright based on the tax deed. She wants to evict Tom. Okay, well, self-help isn't an option. You have to go through the courts. And then, okay, she wants to evict Tom and the attorney. Wait, the attorney's also involved in the business transaction? No. Uh, like the attorney is way is uh is involved in the in the fucking interested in the pecuniary. Uh, in the interested uh, outcome. He, he has a pecuniary interest. Okay. Uh, but, okay, so she wants to evict Tom and the attorney, but they refuse to leave until five years have expired. In the alternative, Nancy demands that Tom and the charity reimburse her for the amount she spent to improve the property. No, she's not going to get the improvements, but if she got profits made, no, if she didn't make any profits, she wouldn't have to pay that. Well, let's see. Okay. Tom claims that he can foreclose on the property based on the loan to Doug. The charity wants to avoid the controversies and seeks a partition against Tom. Okay, so what do they want to part partition by sale or by splitting property? Okay. Nancy contacts your firm seeking legal advice, prepare a memo that discusses each party's interest in the property and the likely outcomes for the competing claims to the property and claims for eviction, reimbursement, and partition. Also discuss any ethical issues arising from the attorney's conduct. That was the fact pattern and my issues by Here is the sample answer. The purpose of this memorandum is to inform you of each party's interest in the property regarding Nancy's case. Issue one, was the deed from the woman to Scott and Doug valid? 
rule. In order for a deed to be valid under Florida law, it must be attested to by two witnesses, contain an, an accurate description of the land, and properly delivered. In order for a deed to be properly delivered, physical delivery is not required. Delivery to a third party on behalf of the recipient is enough to constitute delivery under Florida law. Delivery is about intent. Uh, also, in the instant case, the facts do not provide whether or not the deed was attested to by two witnesses or contained a description of the property. More facts would need to be provided um, to see if that was properly the deed was properly executed under Florida law. However, the deed is the instant case in the instant case was properly delivered as the woman conveying the land through the deed physically delivered the deed to her son scott and doug upon receiving the deed from their mother the deed was properly delivered but here's the opposing argument the opposition would argue that the deed was not properly executed if it was not signed by two witness two attesting witnesses or contain an accurate description of the property to be conveyed if the deed was not executed properly that the delivery would not matter because the deed would be void on its face again this argument is contingent upon more facts from the client. So the conclusion is the court would likely hold, absent any facts to the contrary, that the deed was properly delivered so long as the deed was valid on its face. Now, what interest, issue two, what interest do Scott and uh, Doug hold in the property? In order to hold the property as joint tenants with right of survivorship, four units must be present. One, time, title, interest, and possession. So one, time, two, title, three, interest, four, possession. This means that the parties taking interest in the property must take the interest at the same time, by the same title, with the same interest in the property, and have equal possessions to the property. Additionally, specific language must be found in the deed in order to create a joint tenancy, such as the words with rights of survivorship. Without that specific language, Florida assumes or the default is a creation of a tenancy in common. Uh, due, here, due to the language of the deed, Doug and Scott hold the property as joint tenants with right of survivorship. The mother specifically placed the words with right of survivorship in the deed and therefore created a joint tenancy with right of survivorship between Doug and Scott. Additionally, Doug and Scott received the deed from mother at the same time, one time via the same title, the same interest, both obtained possession to the land, therefore a joint tenancy with right of survivorship was created. Here's the opposing argument. The opposition might argue that the facts do not specifically indicate that the deed was delivered to Doug and Scott at that time. However, this argument is going to fail because the deed did not need to be physically delivered to both people at the same time to properly convey the joint tenancy with right of survivorship. It must merely convey in the deed at the same time in order to satisfy the requirement. So the court will most likely find the Wind Valley conveyed a joint tenancy with right of survivorship to her sons, Doug and Scott. Issue three, can Tom foreclose on property based on the loan to Doug? Uh, rule, a joint tenancy with rights of survivorship allow either party to encumber their interest in the land as they wish. This means that either party may take out a mortgage and use their interest in the land as collateral or may allow creditors to place a lien on the property. However, such an encumbrance does not alter the other party's interest in the joint tenancy so long as the joint tenant is in a lien theory state. A lien theory state like Florida allows either party of a joint tenancy to do whatever it desires with their interest in the property without severing the joint tenancy. However, in a title theory state, placing a mortgage or lien on the property or conveying the interest to someone else automatically severs the joint tenancy and it becomes a tenancy in common. 
Additionally, in lien theory states, because an encumbrance is placed on the land by one member of the joint tenancy, it does not hinder the other holder's interest if the encumbered holder dies before paying back the mortgage or the lien. The creditor cannot collect from the unencumbered holder. Due to the here, due to the fact that Florida's lien theory state, when Doug pledged the property as collateral to Tom, this did not sever the joint tenancy. Additionally, because Doug did not repay his loan to Tom before he died, his interest passed right of survivorship to Scott, and therefore Scott owned the entire property in fee simple. Due to the fact that Scott owned the entire property in fee simple and was not encumbered by a mortgage lien or other levy, Tom will not be able to recover from Scott because the debt was not Scott's and Doug did not pay it back before dying. In joint tenancies in lien theory states like Florida, debts do not pass at the land. Once the debtor dies and his interest passes to the other holder, the debt is dissolved and the creditor is left without recourse. Opposing argument, Tom will argue that he is entitled to repayment of the loan because the encumbrance on the land severed the joint tenancy and created a tenancy by the entirety. This argument would win if Florida was a title theory state. However, we're only a Florida lien theory state and thus this would fail. This argument would fail. Conclusion, the court will likely hold that Tom will not be able to foreclose on the property because Scott owns the property in fee simple and is unencumbered based on Florida's lien theory and its applicability to joint tenants. Issue four is the oral agreement to rent the property between Nancy, Tom, and the attorney enforceable. Rule, the sale and lease of land falls under the statute of frauds and thus must be reduced to a signed writing in order to be enforceable. The signed writing must include the names and signatures of the party to be charged, an accurate description of the land, and a sale price if it's determinable. In the instant case, Nancy entered into an oral agreement with Tom and an attorney to lease land to them for a period of five years and would allow them to collect rent quarterly. This would be considered a lease um, and falls under the statute of frauds. Therefore, the oral agreement between the three parties is invalid uh, because it was not reduced to a signed writing opposing argument. Nancy would argue that the statute of frauds was not necessary in the instant case because of partial performance, which is an exception to statute of frauds. Uh, the attorney and Tom had already lived on the property for a year and therefore partially performed. This argument will fail, however, and the court will require the lease between the parties to be reduced. Uh, maybe, I don't know. That's a weird argument. The court will likely find that the oral lease between the parties is unenforceable because it doesn't comply with statute of frauds. Issue five. What type of lease do the parties have in the instant case? T periodic, told you. A periodic tenancy is created when parties agree to rent for a set period of time with payment at set intervals. In order to terminate a periodic tenancy, Florida has very specific rules. If the tenancy is year to year, the notice must be given six months in advance. Quarter to quarter is three months. Month to month is one month. Week to week is one week. In the instant case, the party had a periodic tenancy. In order to terminate it, the termination of the period, proper notice must be given by either party terminating. This was not the case in the instant case. Thus, Tom and the charity could sue for damages. Conclusion, the court would likely find intent to terminate the tenancy was not properly given in the instant case. Six, can Nancy receive reimbursement from Tom and the charity? Rule, as a life estate holder with interest that will follow your interest, you will have a duty not to commit waste on the property. There are three different kinds of waste, actual, permissive, and ameliorative. Actual waste is exploiting the natural resources that are already on the land. The owner of the property is not permitted to overuse the resources uh, of the land so as to drain the land of its natural resources unless the land is only good for that reason. Um, the landowner was given permission to do so or it was previously used for that reason. However, if it was previously, previously used for that reason, the current landowner is restricted to only using um, was is already there under open mind doctrine. 
This means that the landowner cannot open new mines for excavation, but must work with what's pre-existing. Yo, I've never heard that. Permissive waste refers to keeping the land in good condition. The landowner has a duty to maintain the land in good condition. This just this just mend any ordinary. This just means any ordinary wear and tear on the premises, and not allow the land to go into disrepair. This also means paying taxes on the land. Finally, ameliorative waste refers to waste that improves the land value of the land. The landowner must not make substantial changes to the land that improves the value of the land. Fucking girl, yo. Okay, so in the instant case, Nancy commits ameliorative waste when she when she spent twenty five thousand dollars converting the small house on the property into two small offices. While this improved the value of the land and interfered it interfered with the rights of the subsequent owners of the property, and therefore is considered waste. Therefore, Nancy will not be permitted to recover any amount from Tom and the charity. In fact, Tom and the charity might be able to recover from Nancy because she committed waste against the property, subsequently impairing their interest in the land. Here's the opposing argument. Nancy will argue that the 25000 office space greatly improved the value of the land and also provided 
of rental income and therefore does not count as ameliorative waste. Additionally, she will argue that Tom benefited from the office because he already began using the office as business space and therefore has not been harmed by it. This argument will fail, however, because although the building may have increased the value of the property and may not have harmed either Tom or the charity, the rules of waste are in place so that the preceding owner can cannot substantially interfere with the rights of the later owner and ameliorative waste does just that. Conclusion, Nancy will not be able to recover $25,000 from Tom or the charity because she committed ameliorative waste on the property. Seven, can Nancy evict the attorney and Tom? An evict rule, an eviction can occur when a tenant violates the rules of the leasehold, such as not paying rent or committing waste. Waste can, I, she just repeats it. A tenant can also be permissive ameliorative. Waste can be either actual permissive ameliorative as described above. A tenant can also be evicted when a tenant is considered a holdover of the lease. A holdover occurs when the tenant stays beyond the rental period in which the case, in which case the landlord may charge double rent to the tenant. In the instant case, Nancy may find Nancy may in fact evict both, evict both Tom and the attorney because they do not have a valid enforceable lease under the statute of frauds. Therefore, they do not have a right to remain on the property because they are not considered tenants by a valid leasehold. However, they could both properly recover damages for the fact that the lease was improperly executed and they reasonably relied. So I guess what mutual mistake? I don't fucking know relied on the validity of the lease in order to establish space for five years in order to acquire the office space. Here's the opposing argument. God, they wrote a lot. Nancy will argue that Tom and the attorney are not entitled to any type of damages because they received a benefit from their rental payments by having a place to conduct their business, and the fact that the lease did not comply with the statute of frauds was not a unilateral mistake but a bilateral mistake, and therefore all parties should be held responsible. Conclusion, the court will likely find that Nancy can, in fact, evict the attorney and Tom. Eight, what ethical issues arise from the attorney's conduct in the instant case? The rule is an attorney cannot operate a side business along with her firm. What? Uh, in the instant case, by collecting rent from the tenants in exchange for lo lower rent, the attorney is acting in improper fashion and is in essence operating a side business by acting as a landlord. Additionally, attorney may not take money from individuals and use it for personal gain if it's not earned through legal services in which they have contracted for. Additionally, the attorney is putting rent money from Tom, which rightfully belongs to Nancy, in the firm's account. This is improper in violation. She did not earn this money from legal representation, which was contracted for between herself and Tom. Therefore, this is an issue. Conclusion, the attorney's conduct will be found to be improper. Partition. Judicial partition is available only after the interest has passed to charity and Tom. Um, the app, uh, here, they cannot partition the land when Nancy has a life estate interest and she has full possession. They can once the charity and Tom have tenancy in common in, in, common in the land. Uh, conclusion, judicial partition will not be allowed until the rights have vested.